Hey, hey, beautiful people, hello. Welcome back to Now What? The podcast that aims to help students in navigating their options into tech and aims to give you some kind of hacks in life and in your job search, in your personal development and many, many other things as this episode will remind you. Because this time we have Hish Verduzko, one of my favorite people in the world. Uh, he has accomplished so many things in 27 years of life that he's an example for everybody, especially for the community of underdogs that we associate with. So this episode is all about how. Uh, Ish is all about how. Uh, Ish just published his book, How Get Ish Done. And we're going to discuss briefly about that. But we are going to discuss about why doing different things will help you in the long run. How to be in the 5% that will be hired. How to understand what, what makes you thrive how routines will set you up for success, the importance of reading and learning, and how to constantly improve. This episode is full of, uh, is full of treats, and I really hope you will enjoy that. So I'll leave you to Ish, and I'll see you later. Have a good one. All right. So welcome, Ish, to Now What? I don't think I can be more excited to, to, to get a guest in this podcast. <laughs> you, are, <laughs> you are definitely the, the, my uh, a guy that I look up to a lot. And so I'm very happy to welcome you to Now What? Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And how's my, how's my sound? Is that okay? The sound is perfect. Cool. I think it is better than mine. So it's great. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> You're a podcaster, by the way, so you have you have all your skills and, and the tricks you need. I had to, man. I had to set it up for you. All right, all right, all right. So let's get into it. I want to know a little bit about your background. You have done so many things, and I want you to give a, a, a brief background of yourself, uh, especially what you did in high school and college that brought you to the point that you are right now. Yeah, of course. So everybody that's listening, my full name is Ismael Verdusco El Tercero. Uh, everybody calls me Ish, though. I'm also a DJ, so DJ Ish is kind of like my, my nickname, I guess. Um, I grew up in Los Angeles. I lived in the Inland Empire, which is like suburb area of LA for some, some of my upbringing as well. Um, I went to high school, Etiwanda High School. It's like a big sports school. So I played... Uh, swim i did i was on the swim team i played soccer i played football i was on asb uh which is like the planning team the planning group of the school i was also part of a couple of different ap groups like uh, advanced classes groups um even though i wasn't a great student but i was I still like to punch above my weight class um so yeah i was very involved ever since i was like middle in middle school i guess all the way to high school and then that carried on to college when i went to school at uc merced which is like a really small school. I mean, it's bigger now, but um, it's basically the, the newest UC uh, in, the, in the UC system. And it's in Merced, California, which is like in the middle of California, just above Fresno. So if you've never driven up in the middle of California, you've never seen it. Um, <laughs> really small school. And there I was extremely involved as well. So 
Um, I played soccer. So- I was on the soccer team my first year. Um, I was on like the business society, which is the school's business club. I was a part of a business fraternity. Um, I did events. So I planned the school's um, concerts, like the, the big events that the school hosted. I planned those. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I just did a ton. I was extremely involved. Um, I liked it, it. Merced was an interesting place because unlike Berkeley and LA, UCLA, there wasn't much to do outside of the school. So like there weren't very many bars, there weren't nightclubs, there weren't like things to do aside from like nature. So we found that the only way to keep us busy is to like entertain ourselves or get really involved with school, which I did, I did both. Um, and I also started DJing a lot in, in college too. So I started DJing like my freshman year, then in sophomore year, junior year and senior year just kept elevating. So by senior year, I was DJing like three or four nights a week while juggling a full schedule of classes while doing like three different internships uh, for the school. I I like it so much. I like it so much because you're doing so many things at once and your mind is capable of juggling with all those kind of things at once. And and I I see myself in there so much. That's why I I look up to you. And uh, and so can we describe a little bit why why did you have these crave of doing many things, right? A lot of people are focalizing only one thing, mm-hmm. but you, you see other people seems to focalize on many things. So, so why do you think you have the, that crave to, to do more and more and more? You know, I've been recently thinking about this more and more uh, lately in the past couple of months, even after the book has launched even more. Um, my parents luckily put me in sports and activities when I was really young. So like in elementary school, I was doing baseball after like baseball practice and stuff like that. But I think it also comes from the fact that like my mom is like a hustler. So like she, she's always done a lot of things like take care of the kids, but also have her own business, but also like cook and, and do like super mom basically, you know? So like having her in my life as a kid and being able to like seeing that she's able to like pursue her passions and like still make it work and make ends meet and like cook and clean and ensure that we're well taken care of. And like, we're going down the right path. I think that was a good example for me in terms of like, well, your job is not what defines you, you know, like there's a lot more that, uh, that, that makes up who you are as a person. It's not just like if you hate your job or if you hate your, um, current life situation you can always make it better by adding a little bit of whatever you like whether that's a club an organization a sport um, a hobby Um, so I think that's it's it's like two parts partially because I just grew up doing a couple of different things and then it escalated as the years went on Um, but also like you're you're a product of your environment too so if you have people in your environment that are entrepreneurial and achieving their their passions and it's going to rub off on you. And if you don't have those people, then there's, we live in the era of the 21st century where you have podcasts like this, so you can find people and listen to them on a daily basis and like, let them rub off on you. Um, Cause I know that everybody's not as lucky of a situation where they have somebody in their close family that has that entrepreneurial hustle or that just craving to learn and, and grow, you know? Yeah, definitely. And this is a, a huge part of your book and we're going to get <laughs> into it later and uh, the struggle to find a mentorship and the easy to, and the uh, easy way to find a mentorship in, in the 21st century with all the things that we have like LinkedIn mm-hmm. and, and YouTube. And 
So as a matter of fact, I found you and I found you uh, via LinkedIn without without any any kind of struggle, right? Apart mm-hmm. from trying to get the attention. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, what, uh, so what kind of skills do you think you got from doing so many activities at once? In in a world where where a lot of people are telling you fo- focus on a niche, find your niche. Uh, I'm a believer that you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be able to juggle with different things at once. So, what kind of skills do you do you get from there, from that? And because you are a successful person, so it, yeah. it, there is there is a strict correlation that you can do that and be successful. Yeah, I think when I was younger, like in uh, like middle school and high school, I was kind of doing random stuff. Uh, high school less, but. Definitely like middle school, I was doing random things. Like they just wanted to taste and try. I don't know who it was, but somebody when I was younger told me like, if you don't know what you like, just try different things and then you'll find something. And then you start refining it. So if you like some aspect of marketing, well, what what aspect of marketing do you like? Do you like digital marketing? Do you like social media marketing? Do you like email marketing? And the more that you try and taste these these more niche things within the broader category that you like, then you end up finding something that you really like. But it's funny if you look at all the things that uh, that I that dedicate my time to, they're all aligned in some way or another. Even though they look really, really, really different, um, you have to look at you have to take like fifty steps back in order to really see the bird's eye view of uh, how they all inter- intertwine and interconnect. So I'll, I'll kind of break it down for you because it's it's a little bit complex. So I told you I'm a DJ. I work in tech. Yeah, I'm a DJ. Absolutely. I work. I, I'm a DJ. I work in tech. Um, I work in diversity. I wrote a book. I like sharing on social media. I had an events company myself with a best friend, um, and I like to work out. So all of those things are intertwined in some fashion, and each different category that I dedicate my time to boosts another category, either promotes it or helps me thrive in another category. So they all look really random. I know it sounds crazy, but working out is a foundation. Working out is the mental reset every single day. Without working out and getting my sleep, then everything else drops tremendously. So that's how that one impacts all the other ones. When I had my events business with one of my best friends, we did events because we liked uh, creating experiences that people can share together, like a shared experience. When you're in a nightclub and your favorite DJ is performing and you look around and 300 people are all singing to the same exact song and dancing, that's a shared experience. You know, when you're Latino and you're like, go to a Latino event or uh, you go to like a Latino party and like the song comes on, a certain song comes on, you're like, oh my God, that's my song. Like that's a shared experience. And, and that translates to like now diversity and inclusion, the work that I'm doing now at Snap, it's like, you're creating shared experiences and helping other people understand what it's like in that shared experience, even if you don't relate to it hundred percent. DJing, same thing. If you're like, I, I, I don't always like to be the center of attention, but I like to be the person that's like pulling the strings to make things happen for everybody else in the room. And that's, it, it translates to like marketing. I've learned so much in DJing that I've, that I like DJing and promoting events and like nightlife industry. I think nightlife industry is like 10 steps ahead of everybody in terms of marketing. So if, if you're a marketer out there, look at your local promoter, your local DJ club or whatever. Um, but I've learned so many things there and I translated to my old role at LinkedIn as social media marketing. So like they all intertwine the things that I learned in my marketing job. I promote it when, when I use it for the book. 
when I promote it, when I use it for the podcast, I use it when I um, promote my DJ gigs, creating content, you know, like if I'm creating content on an every single day basis, I'm getting better and better at copywriting. Copywriting is going to help me when I write the book, when I write these blog posts, when I write these eBooks, like they all intertwine. But if you look at them one off, they're like, what the heck is just doing like eight different things. And they're all super random. Um, but I think one of the questions that, or the, the main question that you asked is like, what's something that I've learned or what's like a skill. I think being able to have that sight of like, Oh, okay. Well, I like doing this one thing. How can I take one aspect of it? And, and it'll, and it'll increase another area of my life or how can I fit it in my schedule so that it doesn't throw other things off. So if you like learning and you love learning, how can you fit learning into your day so that it helps another aspect? So if you like learning, but you also like marketing, well, then maybe you listen to a 30-minute podcast every single morning when you go on your run and while you're stretching so that in five days, you just got like three hours of learning, you know? And then you're, and then over time, you just get better and better at marketing because you're like learning these things consciously. So yeah, hope that answers. Absolutely. And the, because this is a, a very wide conversation about how, um, how seeing different things in the world at the end spark your creativity in what your 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 actually your your task is in that moment and the, the greatest ideas comes when you're doing something else when you're under the shower or when you yeah. do something else right when you're not focused 100 percent on that world because the creativity sparks like that and i think this is a wonderful this is a wonderful conversation about it and um and so Let's go a little bit into, because if not, we're going to go into personal development so, <laughs> <laughs> right away. So can you tell me a little bit about how did you get into LinkedIn and then how did you get into Snap? Yeah. As a, put yourself in a, on a perspective of a college student that wants to get into the tech industry, right? Yeah. So to give hope for everybody out there, that's like these companies will never hire somebody like me. Um, that was me. <laughs> like I didn't, I didn't get into tech the traditional way and the traditional way that people get into tech is like a recruiter messages you on LinkedIn or emails you and says, Hey, I would love to interview for this awesome job at this awesome company. Let me know what time you're free. Like that, I was the opposite, you know? So like when I graduated in 2014, that's that winter before. So like six months before graduating, I spent those six months applying for so many different jobs and like, yeah, maybe my, my approach could have been better, but I applied to hundreds of jobs, probably close to like 300 jobs, individual like applications, individual resumes, individual cover letters. Like it takes so much time, you know, and everybody who's listening understands that the struggle, but, <laughs> but, uh, so the way that I got in was a friend from college happened to be a contractor at LinkedIn. And what it means to be a contractor is like, you're technically not a full-time employee. You don't have all the benefits, but you're working at the company on behalf of another company. So you're doing all the same deliberals and, and job responsibilities as everybody else, but you don't have all the benefits. And uh, so I reached out to him and basically said like, Hey, I see this events role and I had done events all throughout college. Like I, I was pretty well, well known as the events guy in college. Um, and I said, yo, like this, this, job looks like it's perfect for me. Like it's right up my alley. I meet the requirements, the right amount of skill, like all that. And I just kept nagging at him over like the next month, no, over the next couple of weeks. And I was just like, dude, like it's, it's getting late. Like I know they're going to hire somebody. Please put me on the phone with the manager. Like, let me, let me, give me a shot, you know? 
And I somehow convinced him to put me on the phone with his manager, which was a person hiring for the role. And I don't know if this is like new grad, like new grad confidence that I had or something like that, or maybe it was just like stupid, but uh, I mean, in, in retrospect, I was happy that I did it. But yeah, I basically spoke to the hiring manager and said like, hey, my name is so-and-so, did my pitch, talked about like 60 seconds of what I did in college and why I, this job is perfect for me, why I've loved LinkedIn since I was like in college. And somehow like I convinced her to give me a shot. So uh, I told her, I was like, hey, today's Wednesday, I'll be up in, I'll be in San Francisco tomorrow to interview if that works for you. She's like, wait, you're in LA, right? I was like, yeah. She's like, are you going to get up here? Like, I'll drive up overnight if I need to. I'll be there at 8 a.m. She's like, wow, you're crazy. She's like, no, you can have till Friday. Drove up, and this is for a contract gig, and I was working at 24 Hour Fitness down in L.A., living with my family because um, I couldn't find a job right after college. But drove up still that night, slept on my friend's couch, and uh, interviewed that Friday. I interviewed for the event coordinator role. Um, I thought I did well. Uh, wait, no, I, when, I, when I got to San Francisco that day, she called me and she said, hey, I have some bad news. She said, uh, the, in, the event coordinator role that you're going to interview for, it just got filled. She's like, but we have a recruiting coordinator role if you want to interview for that. And I was like, sure, anything. I just need to get my foot in from there. I'll figure it out. So I interviewed for the recruiting coordinator role. I did horrible. Like I've, I failed so bad. Like it, it was like a, there was like a scheduling matrix that they gave me that you have to like do. And, and I just like flopped. But I kept referring to my event experience and my passion for events throughout the, all the interviews that I had. And then later on that evening around like 5 PM, I was in the mission district in San Francisco. I remember it clearly. And she called me and she said, Hey, I just want to let you know, like uh, you didn't do too well for your, uh, your recruiting coordination interview. It's like, so we're unfortunately not going to be able to give you that role, but um, you showed so much like excitement and energy for events that we're going to open up another, another contract role for you there. So like, I guess if, if we're going to summarize what I did, it's like, A, getting out of your comfort zone, B, thinking more creatively to get to the person that's interviewing for the role. So if you're looking at recruiters and you're just messaging them on LinkedIn, like that's not going to cut it. Like what else can you do? Can you create a website? Oh, I also created a website. I created a portfolio, like a, like a printout portfolio. And it was two pages and it was kind of like a newsletter and it was like New York Times style. And each section of the, of the newsletter was like, here's why I'm qualified for the role and why you need to hire me. And here's why I'm a hyperactive user of LinkedIn. So like the different aspects is like- Specifically? Specifically, yeah. Specifically for LinkedIn? Yeah, I did just for LinkedIn. Uh, nice. So like I showed that I was like an advocate of the, of the company, advocate of the brand. Um, I showed how I'm a hyper user of the product. Uh, I showed why I'm specifically good at that specific job, not like, hey, I'm a great candidate for lots of jobs. Here's all my skills. It's like, no, you guys are looking for somebody who has great event experience, is able to do purchase orders, is able to manage money, this, this, and that. Like, I've done all that. Here's my experience. Like, it's very specific. Um, and then even when I didn't get to interview for the role that I thought I was going to interview for, I still just like, not going to lose hope. You know, like, here's why I love that role. Even if this is not a fit, like, I would love an opportunity to uh to interview or to like at least get a shot at this so that that's kind of like how I, I broke it down i mean i didn't know that i was doing it in the moment i was just kind of going with it um but i guess it was a more strategic than i thought 
was definitely strategic and all, all the fact that you build up a, a portfolio just for that role yeah. is something that a, a lot of people are, are telling us now to do but i don't think it was so famous a famous approach on that because so, like if you think about it like th this is kind of how i view like a lot of aspects of life 90 percent if there's 100 people 90 people are going to do do like the, whatever route exactly the same you know so if it's like applying for a job 90 of them are going to just apply for the job online and do nothing else. Maybe five of them are going to like, in, they're going to apply online, submit a great cover letter and find somebody at the company to give them referrals. Those are probably the ones that are going to interview. And then there's maybe like a couple of people that are going to apply online, find a referral, create a website, create a portfolio, message the recruiter personally or find their email somehow and message them with a really good message. And then, link their links to like basically sell them and then those are the people that are going to get like selected you know because it's like if, if you're a recruiter and you have like tons of roles and you're trying to hire from somebody how do you pick who's going to go above and beyond if one person did all of this stuff and show that they're very actively uh passionate about the role and the company and then 90 people just applied like yeah you might look through the other 90 people and see if there was somebody that's really good but you're probably going to take 20 minutes and talk to this other person that like went above and beyond. Right. So just like in every aspect of like work or projects or like sports or activities, like how can you be part of that? Like 5% that just goes above and beyond. You got to outwork your competition and talent is overlooked. Right. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you could just out create, like be more creative than them. And it doesn't even take that much. Like the, to create the newsletter, it took me like two hours. I think I created it using Canva back then and the canva was still like not as popular um but i like it was all in my head i just i needed to put it on paper like here's why i'm great for the role here's why like i love linkedin here's what i've done i had already i had my resume already so it was just like taking the aspects of my resume and making it look more in a different format you know mm -hmm. and and how was the career at linkedin from that point on once good. you got your foot in the door yeah i had a i was there for five years my first role was that contract events role that I did. Um, and then after like 10 months, uh, my contract was going to be up. So I started, I started talking to different hiring managers at the company um, and like different people on the team that I had worked with. And I started being interested in going down the recruiting route to become a recruiter. Um, I was also at the time like trying to figure out what it is that I wanted to do. I was kind of lost a little bit. I had done events for a couple of years. Um, it started to get kind of like boring for me. So I was like, all right, well, what's next? And then I just kind of, I kind of went down this journey of like learning what I learned, learning what I like to do. And I figured like, well, I'm great talking to people. I like talking to people so I could do sales. I could do relationship management role. I could do recruiting. And I was like, but I also loved marketing since I was a kid and I've always been passionate about it, but I'd never thought I could actually get a marketing role because everybody wants to do marketing, you know? So it was like sales, recruiting, marketing, I can continue going down the events role and just keep getting promoted. Um, and I, I talked to different people for each of them. So I did my research. I talked to people that were in the roles. I talked to hiring managers. I looked online for jobs, all that. I, I knew front and back what each job requirement would, would, I would do in the role. Um, and then when, right when I was about to like get the role for, it was like a recruiting associate role. My, my, my manager basically said like, Hey, we want to bring you on full time. Um, you can do your events job and you can also do social media marketing on the side, which was something that I was already doing, but it, I wanted it to be like more official part of my role. 
obviously part of my role. Um, so then my second role was kind of like a hybrid. I started doing like events, recruiting events, social media marketing, um, working on different like projects, project coordinator, basically. My third role, or it was like kind of like second and third role doing like more of employer branding. So heavy on the marketing, heavy on the comms. Um, and then my last role at LinkedIn was all social media marketing. So I led social media for LinkedIn's uh, biggest business line, which is Talent Solutions. Um, so if you think of like LinkedIn Recruiter, that, that product sits under Talent Solutions. Um, and yeah, and then I came to Snap. I did like a whole 180 and flipped my career a bit. I've always been passionate about diversity and inclusion, but I never had the opportunity to kind of like work on really meaty projects. Like I didn't, I done stuff at LinkedIn. I done stuff during my free time. Um, but I thought like, Hey, I'm still young enough to the point where I can flip my career. And if it doesn't work out, if I don't like it as much as I thought, I can always go back to marketing. I can always go back to events. I can always try a different route, but I'm not like 20 years deep in my career where it's like more of a risk. You know, I'm still like early enough where I can pivot. Doesn't work. Pivot. Doesn't work. Pivot. Um, and yeah, I've loved it so far. It's been a ton of work. I mean, as you can, as you can imagine all the stuff that's going on in the world right now, but, um, it's rewarding work. Definitely. It's definitely, definitely a challenging time for diversity and inclusion walls. <laughs> yeah. Uh, very tough. And uh, can you, can you say briefly, why did you change and why did you feel uh, the need to change from a well-established company like LinkedIn mm -hmm. to a more, um, a, a more little one with less people yeah. in there? Like there, Snapchat. There's a lot of different, there's a, I, like everything that I do in my life, I break it down and I analyze it in every aspect. So I, I thought about it for about a month. Um, I was on, coming up on my five years at LinkedIn and I was like, well, I can, I can keep working at LinkedIn forever and it would be great, you know, but I started thinking about, it. I was like, all right, five years at LinkedIn. If, if I go out working 10 years at one company and people have like their own opinions about it, you know, but I was like, I've had, I have five years under my belt here. Let's go work for another company and see what it's like. LinkedIn was also getting really big. So it was like, when I started, it was like 7,000 employees. When I finished, it was like 15,000, got acquired by Microsoft. So it, it changed a lot. It was, like a, it was like a big startup when I started and then it became like a more corporate company. So that was one piece of it. The second piece was like, all right, I spent five years here. Let's see what else there is out there before I end up spending 10 years here. And then it's kind of like, more difficult to like switch gears and change and start at a new company and start from the ground up, build your name, all that stuff. Um, and then the other thing is like, I was always passionate about snap. So snap was my dream company when I was like 19, 20, I told one of my best friends that I started my events company with, I was like, Hey, one day I'm going to work for Snapchat watch. And he's just like, you're crazy. What the hell? Like, shut up. Like nobody, nobody we know works at these, these companies like Snapchat, Facebook and LinkedIn. And then when I was my senior year, I told him, I was like, you know, like, I love LinkedIn. I think there's like this huge power in it that nobody's using, especially college students. I was like, I'm going to try to work there one day. And he's like, dude, you're like, you're crazy. Like, I don't, uh, but I've always had these like extremely uh, ambitious, not even goals. I like, I would always just say like, Hey, I'm going to go do that. And people would just be like, okay. It's like, you're going to go DJ in Vegas. You're going to write a book. You're going to work at LinkedIn. Like, all right. And then I'll just go do it. And then it feels so good to be able to like, say you wanted to do something and then like keep your promise to yourself you know to yourself and to the peers maybe <laughs> you are telling those things to. Yeah, you gotta man. you gotta have some peer pressure in order to excel in oh, I, <laughs> and 
and a part of like the chapter chapter one of the book, which you know very well, is like understanding what makes you thrive and like what understanding you in every single aspect. So one aspect that I know about myself very well is I thrive under pressure. Sometimes it's stressful, but and and I set myself up in pressurous situations, even if it's like minor pressure. But that's one of the reasons why on social media, I post every single day what I'm doing. It's because it's accountability. If I miss my workout today, there's a, there's, a ca- there's a calendar on my wall right now that's staring right back at me. If I miss it, that's an X that's missing on the wall, you know, like a check, check mark. Um, if I share on social media every day that I'm working out, that's me being accountable to myself, but being accountable to like a broader group of people. So it's like I get the feedback, the constant feedback all the time. And if I don't get that feedback, that means like, oh, I didn't do it. So I, I put myself in these like little sl- subtle pressure situations because I know that that's what's going to make me like inch t- in the right direction. Yeah. And for people that don't know that now it's 7.45, yeah. 7.49, <laughs> yeah, 7.49 in the morning <laughs> for ish. Uh, for me, it's a little bit later. It's 5 p.m. Uh, I was up at seven in the morning as well, but can I just, just for people to know, can you tell me a little bit about your routine in the, in the, in the day? Yeah, of course. Uh, I have for a really long time now, I've been extremely uh, strict with my routines and I think it comes with growing up doing a lot of different things. Like there's no way that you can do sports and uh, clubs and organizations and school and family and have a, and have a social life without having set routines and set schedules and set um, things that you do at certain times. So this is, this is literally the key. If, if you don't get anything else from this podcast, it is setting strict schedules with times and walls and barriers when you stop doing something and you start doing something and you have to be able to mentally shut off and mentally shut on. You know, like if you're in family, turn off work mode as much as possible. Put your phone off, close your laptop. If you're on work mode, turn your phone on, do not disturb. Like close the door, make sure you have water so you're not going up unnecessarily to, from your desk, those little things. But back to your question. So my, my schedule, my routine is very strict and it's very regimented. So I've refined it over time and I've adjusted it over time. Um, I wake up at 5.05 in the morning. I have my lights that come on in my room. I have these like LifeX light bulbs. So they turn on by themselves because they're connected to Wi-Fi. At five o'clock in the morning, by five o five, they're fully on. They're like golden light on, because uh, something about your body when 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 you when your eyelids feel light, they think it's time to wake up, even if it isn't. So a, a little hack here, if you want to hack that, which I used to do when I was DJing a lot, I would turn on the lights at night and keep them super bright. So like it was like it felt like a doctor's office inside my room, and it was like one o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday night because my body thought it was like time to stay awake. So I kind of just use that to my advantage. Um, but yeah, I wake up at five o'clock, five five in the morning, um, brush my teeth, grab some water, have like a fruit if I, if I can change. And I start working out by like 5.15, 5.20 at the latest. Um, and I'm, I have my little gym set up that I, that I got some, the, some weights. So I work out um, five to six times a week from 5.20 in the morning until about, like 6.15. If it's a good day, sometimes I'll go a little bit over, like 6.30. And then 6.30, I'll sit outside on my porch for like 10, 15 minutes and just like let the calm set in. Like, you know, like adrenaline, endorphins are flowing. 
Um, and I kind of just like relax, try to be off my phone and just like sit there for like a little bit before the craziness of the day. Um, then I have a protein shake, jump in the shower. By that time, it's like seven o'clock in the morning. Then from like seven to seven thirty, I'll do like personal stuff. So if that means like journaling, another thing is like when I work out in the morning, I know people are saying like, what the hell you work out at 5am? That's crazy. Yeah. I used to be a night owl That's for great. like my whole life. I was a night owl, but I learned that when I wake up early now, I have uh, this crazy amount of creativity that I didn't have in the mornings before. You know, when you're exhausted and you wake up after nine hours of sleeping and it's like 8 a.m., the first thing you do is drink a cup of coffee and you go to work. Like, you're still waking up. Your body is still trying to recover from like the long night that you had in the day before. But by by eight o'clock in the morning, when I'm finally getting started after journaling and relaxing, I've been up for three hours. My body's fully awake. My mind is flowing. My creativity is flowing. Like I have a level of focus because I have that and that uh, the focus from the the workout it flows into the the workday. Um, so I usually start about eight o'clock. I try to start sooner if possible. Like if I have a ton of projects, and then from eight to noon, then I'll have lunch at noon. Try to take a break around three p.m. Finish work around five or six. If it's a long day, we'll finish work around seven. Um, then have dinner with some family, either my grandma or family member. Um, and then it's like eight o'clock by then almost time to go to sleep. Cause I go to bed by I'm trying to, I try to be in bed by nine and lights out by 10. Um, so for that hour or two hours or three hours from six to nine after eating or before eating or after eating, it's usually just like projects. So what is other side projects that I'm working on? If I'm working on a book, um, DJing when I was DJing like a ton, I would practice during that time. Yeah. And, and when I was DJing a ton, my schedule was flipped. So I was like waking up, going to work and then working out after work at six, at five, 6 PM. And then I was going home, showering and practicing for like five hours until like one in the morning and then going to sleep at like two in the morning and then waking up at like seven in the morning, which was really bad because I wasn't sleeping much. I was only sleeping like four or five hours and then it catches up to you. If you think you, if you think you can do it, trust me, I thought I could too. I thought I was Superman. And then one day, um, I just felt exhausted. And I was like, why do I feel tired? I slept a good amount last night. And the good amount at the time was like seven hours. But then I was like, the next day, again, I feel exhausted. The next day, I feel exhausted. So I was like, this is not good. And I just realized I was like, I was overworking myself. I was like going above and beyond at work during my day job. So I was mentally exhausted. And then I was like physically exhausted from continuing to work out. And then on top of that, I was like practicing. So it was like, you're, you're exerting all your energy. Um, and then it took me about a, a month or, or a little bit over a month to recover from that of just like sleeping eight to 10 hours, eight to like nine hours a, a night for like a month and a half and not doing anything else because I was just like, felt tired. So if you think, if you think you can do it, maybe you're in college and you can do it in the meantime, but once you start working at like a full-time job and you're doing other things or you have family, like if you can get your sleep, get it because it's the most important thing. And if you meet, if that means taking naps, like I'm not a nap person, but I have friends and I know people, a lot of successful people that I studied, they take naps, 20 minute nap here and there. Like it helps a lot, you know, it's a mental reset as well. There is, you, you don't want to, you don't want to mess with your sleep schedule. Eight hours are not negotiable. Yeah. Seven to eight hours are not negotiable. <laughs> yes. And, Trust me. and, and when I, you're I, young, I, people, people are like, I could do it. I'm okay. I could sleep five. 
like that was me and then <laughs> and then i got like exhausted oh, catches up catches up and i did the same and i i thought i thought that i was able to do four or five hours of of, of sleep at night and then catch up <laughs> as well and there is no negotiable eight hours at least uh, seven 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 and a half hours eight hours at least sleeping is very important recover is very important mm-hmm. uh, yeah and and so but how did you when did you start doing that so when you see me smiling during the interview is because it's because i i love that and i and i do that constantly and i'm mm-hmm. constantly working on it and constantly try to refine my my schedule and the best time to do those those, those things mm-hmm. but when did you start learning about it when did you start uh, about personal development about about all the habits all the routines because when i read in your book that you didn't didn't really read yeah, until 2015 right mm-hmm. so i didn't i didn't read like i uh i think I, I liked reading like harry potter and that was about it maybe like maybe like uh captain underpants when i was like way younger but uh <laughs> i didn't like i didn't like reading like even in high school i didn't like reading the books that we were supposed to read i never read them I would like read the cliff notes, which is really bad, but I would watch the movies if possible, but I didn't like reading them. Even in college, I didn't like reading. Reading was nothing I did on the, uh, on the side. Like it was never a hobby. I didn't read books, which is really bad. Um, I liked reading articles and I thought I was getting really smart from reading all these articles and like hacks and tips and tricks. And I was like, I'm not really getting anything in the long term from this. Um, but yeah, like I graduated, started working at LinkedIn for a year or two. And then I came across this book called Smart Cuts by Shane Snow. And uh, who gave, I don't know who gave me that book or how I found, I might've found the guy on LinkedIn and I just like download, like I, I liked his content. He was a marketer, the author Shane Snow. And then uh, I bought his book on Amazon and then I read it and I was mind blown. Like it's a good book. Shane Snow is a great guy. I don't think it's like the best book, but it was the first book that I had read in that uh, category of self-development and like personal growth because my whole life uh and i think i talk about in this book in the book too my whole life i was never a good reader or writer um and i think it goes i think it it was like partially because i didn't like it but partially because i thought it was really difficult for me like speaking two languages growing up english and spanish um sometimes i would get my terms mixed up so i would say things in spanish and they're really in english and english and spanish tenses and so like as a kid, I got discouraged. So like, I'm not good at reading. So like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be great at it. Um, but when I was 23 and I read that book by Shane Snow, um, like a light bulb clicked in my head. I was like, holy shit, I'm missing out on learning stuff that I, that, that I could like to do. Because when you're in school, they tell you what to do. You have to learn about this. You have to read this. You have to do that. And then now I was out of school and I had this free time per se, like outside of work and I could read whatever I want to read, you know, and I had the time to do it, the energy to do it. Uh, so that, that was, that was like the, change, the turning point. Like, and after that I started like, I think I reread it twice in a row, like back to back. And then I was like, this is unreal. And then I started to find like, what are other books that are like this? You know, I started to like learn about Simon Sinek, Tim Ferriss, all those authors. And then I just, going and going and going then it came about like podcasts and tried to find podcasts that were about personal development and people's stories and how they got to where they are and then it was like documentaries for a while and i went and just like like relentlessly just watched tons of documentaries and try to like pick up on little things and and learn about people's stories and famous people and not famous people like 
people when it came to like history, sports, athletes, like musicians, like race car drivers, like random stuff, you know, but just trying to find the people that are the best at what they did or really good at what they did and learn about their stories and learn about, because the way I put it, the way I put it in my mind is if this person went through a lot of like F ups and like screw ups, I can learn through them. You know, my grandma told me that when I was like a kid, it's like, if you can learn by somebody else's mistakes, that's better because you're at least more aware of them. You might still go through them, but at least you're more aware of them when they, when you're about to like hit one of those moments. And so that's, that's kind of what I did with learning is like, well, these people wrote books. These people have their stories that they told in podcasts and documentaries. Why not learn from them? And then little by little, I'll just keep growing like a little gold mine in my head. And then it's situational. So it's not like I'm extremely smart guy. I don't think I'm very smart guy at all, but I've just picked up on so many nuggets along the way that now when I'm placed in a situation, I have so much in my head that I can pull from or like adjust or, or switch the way I'm speaking or how I present myself or the way I explain things or um, like culturally how I relate to people, you know? Uh, so, and that just comes from like learning so much and listening, learning, asking questions, asking thoughtful questions. But yeah, like you said, I was, I wasn't always like, I wasn't always like this. <laughs> I wasn't always a learner per se. You optimize, right? Like apart from the, the fact that you're saying that you're not smart, but that's another question. And <laughs> I, I don't think so, but it is the, the principle of optimizing whatever you have. Mm-hmm. And being able to optimize whatever you have and to, to bring you to a, to a goal. Mm-hmm. A goal that has to be smart, right? A smart goal, <laughs> as, exactly. you, as you describe in the book. So tell me, t- tell me a little bit about, so about the book. How was it born? Uh, how, yeah, how it was born, I think it's like that. Sometimes my English just flows away. But tell, okay. me a little bit about, tell me a little bit about the book. How, how, we, how, we, how we, it was born and... Yeah. What you, why did you did you start reading? Of did course. you start writing? So I never thought to write a book. If you ask all my English teachers from first grade to car, to college and you ask them who in this class is likely to write a book, I would probably be dead last in, in all of them, except for one, my third grade, not my third grade. What my Mr. Mel, Mr. Meltrager was the only the only teacher that ever believed in me <laughs> for some reason. But I mean all that aside after doing all basically after after doing all this learning and after reading all these books after listening to all the hundreds and hundreds of podcasts like that's a lot of content that's a lot of information daily blogs I, at one point in my life i was reading like 20 different blogs a day 20 20 blog posts per day all about hacks personal development finance like habit building routines like tons of stuff and so I was listening to Think and Grow Rich, the audiobook by Napoleon Hill, driving down the five freeway to see my sister in San Diego. Um, and something about the book just spoke to me. And I know people listening to this are going to be like, what the hell? What do you mean it spoke to you? Like, of course it spoke to you. It's a damn audiobook. <coughs> I'm so sorry. We had a little problem with the audio and so we'll continue where we left off and Ishi's gonna change the mic see you later you were driving to san diego to see your sister yeah so uh i was driving down the fire freeway to see my sister in san diego 
And uh, like I said, I, I only take book recommendations from people who read as well or from people who I just respect and value their opinion. And so when I, when I picked up this book, people had told me, the people that recommended it to me said, something in the book is going to speak to you. I don't know what it is and I don't know where it's going to be and how it's going to impact your life, whether it's for DJing, relationships, projects, work, family, but it's going to impact your life somehow. And something is going to come out of it, either a product or something good. And I was like, all right, whatever. Like, this is a, this is a book recommendation from you. So I, I'm going to go ahead and listen to it. And I kid you not, like halfway through the book, I was driving down the five freeway um, and something spoke to me in the book. And what it said was, or maybe it was just me subconsciously telling myself was uh, you are being selfish by not sharing what you're learning with other people from your community and people who you value in your life. And to summarize that and to like put that into like more basic terms is like, I'm learning all this stuff. I have friends and family who don't have the privilege to work in tech and to have this free time and to be have access to all these different resources and uh, be surrounded by learners and people who like want to constantly grow and self-development. I have a lot of friends, like most of my friends and family at the time, like they didn't, they weren't about like reading and like my high school friends didn't like, weren't into that thing, you know? So it, it like a light bulb went in my head. Like what if I could just summarize everything that I learned, like the top things that make all these successful people successful, like habits, rituals, routines, mentorship, um, like developing schedules, like all this stuff. What if I could just summarize it and explain it to people, here's how to do it. Here's how to do X, here's how to do Y. Like that would be pretty cool because I know a lot of friends that wouldn't read a book otherwise. And then I started to reflect on like, well, why don't they read? Why, why don't they uh, like, why don't they like learn from these people? And then I started to look at the industry and I was like, oh snap. A lot of these people are like well-resourced white men. Like anybody who's listening to this and watching this interview, like look at all the self-development books in your library right now. Like most of them are white men. You have Tim Ferriss, Ryan Holiday, Malcolm Gladwell, Napoleon Hill, all of them. Like I looked at through all of my books from 2019, 45 books, three of them were written by people of color and only, and zero of them were written by Latinos. But then I started thinking like, Partially why I wrote it was I wanted to be able to help educate, uplift, inspire my community, whether that's Latinos, Black, Asian, people from underrepresented groups that don't have that representation in this industry or representation in other industries or whatever they do. Um, and then the other way, the other reason was like, I wanted to be somebody that's more relatable. Like I can be more relatable than a Tim Ferriss to my audience because I am a person of color. I didn't grow up with a lot of privilege, as much privilege as, as other these other authors, you know. Um, so that that's kind of like how it came about. And then I I didn't want to write a book, like I told you. So then I started thinking through, like, well, I, I started convincing myself out of it. Like, okay, like maybe I'll do a blog series. But then I was like, blogs are great, but I can't think of one blog that positively changed my life so much that I reread it again and recommended it to so many people. So I was like, blogs are out of the picture. Maybe I could do a docu series or like a or a video series, a YouTube series, and then I was like, uh, I'm okay on camera, but I'm not like super charismatic YouTube blogger style guy. That's not my style. I like talking to people, interviews like this, but I don't like talking to a camera, like just me and a camera. 
that's out the picture. And then I, I started slowly like checking off all the things and like taking them off my list. And the last one on the list was book. I was like, damn it. Like this is not what I wanted to do. <laughs> and then, the, but then I started, I kept driving, I was driving down to see my sister this whole time. And then uh, I started thinking through it more and more. And I was like, this is the smartest thing to do because it, it's scalable. It can be translated to multiple different languages. It can be an ebook. It can be a physical book. I can give somebody a physical book after speaking to them for five minutes to say, I don't have that much time, but if you read this, it'll tell you everything you need to know. I can't do that with like a video because sometimes people's attention span gets lost. I can't do that with the blog because sometimes they lose the link or whatever, you know? So like there's something about having a physical piece of paper in front of you and whether you like to read it, whether you want to read it or not, if it sits on your countertop, or you're next to your bed, eventually it's gonna just take up space and you're gonna to wanna to either open it or give it away. And you're probably gonna to try to open it. If you open the first couple of pages, I think I'll hook you enough to read the rest of the book. You know? <laughs> so that, that's kind of how it came about. Like I said, I, didn't, I never wanted to write a book. I never thought my, I was gonna be an author. And now I'm already like working on the next one. So it's, it's crazy to see how things change so quickly. Well, you know what, man? Uh... You told me very clearly that you were reading the book that changed your life and changed the way you saw about the uh, about the learning experience. Mm -hmm. And you started and you read that book back to back, and you started and you started your journey from that book on. Yeah. And I think your book is going to do the same for many many people that wants to go in that direction. That a lot of people needs to go in that direction. They don't have a gateway. Yeah. I read your book. I think your book is great and it is a gateway for many people to go in that, that in that exploration that never ends right that when you start going in that direction never ends yeah. and i don't want to i i don't want to so this is just the beginning of our conversation <laughs> of our real conversation and i don't want to take too much time uh, out of you i know you have to go i want to be respectful of your time so why 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 don't you why don't you come back for a round two and we talk yeah. about explicit, explicitly we talk about your book and you can like ten more minutes if you have other questions that you that you like eager to ask I know you just read the book too so like um I can yes. read the book time so go ahead and ask away all right okay so if I have to choose only one question you can choose that from the book okay okay <laughs> wonderful and so I I read a quote from from your book. Right, and I and I think this is one of the one of the most important concepts that was in the book, and is the self concept. So being able to understand yourself. Uh, this is the quote that I highlighted: self schemas, past self, present self, future possible selves. They are well aware of every one of those key factors and what they mean overall. Right. Yeah. So can you tell can you tell me those perception those perception about someone's self? And how can you change that pers perspective to, to know that you can achieve whatever goal you have in mind? Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to simplify it in like a quick pitch, but I'll, I'll give an overview. So essentially what that section of the book entails is understanding who you are in every different aspect. Not just like who you are in terms of what inspires you, what makes you pissed off, what makes you more creative. And the way you break it down is by looking at your past self so who, if you're 25 years old, from the past 25 years of your life, reflecting on different areas, different eras of your life. Um, when you were in elementary school, kindergarten, middle school, high school, asking your parents, asking your grandparents about yourself. What did you like to do when you were younger? What are things that you gravitated towards? 
Uh, what are life-changing moments that have shaped you? Um, looking at your past self in many different aspects. More you can, because we change over time, you know? Who you are when you were 12 is a different person who you are when you're 25. And so looking at those different stages of your life and understanding how they've shaped you and what you took from that era of your life. And uh, also when you're looking past, what are the trends that you see? Me looking back when I was younger, I've always had a niche for marketing. I've always had a, I've always been attracted to marketing. I remember when I was younger and I was, I used to watch really crappy commercials and I would say to myself like, God, this is so bad. Somebody's paying to make this. Like this is, I could do a better job with my phone. And like, that's a marketer right there, you know? But unless you like take time to reflect or you have somebody in your life that points that out to you, then you'll just kind of keep going your life and maybe you'll become an engineer because everybody in your family tells you to become an engineer, which technically that happened to me. I went to college to become an engineer and then I realized that I hated it. Um, but yeah, so looking at your past self, your current self. So who are you right now in this current moment? What are you passionate about? What do you like about your life? Hate about your life? What do you like about your job? Hate about your job? Relationships, projects, all these different things. Um, what inspires you? Like I, I went through a whole list that, of questions and I gave my, my personal example in depth of like, here's my self-analysis, past, current, and then future. So who can, you, who can you be in the future in five years, two years, one year, six months, if you make certain changes? Looking at your past self, if you notice that you've had bad habits your entire life, and those bad habits could be eating shitty. It could be like spending too much time on your phone. It could be like not spending the time with your family, like whatever those bad habits are. Your current self, where you're currently at, what needs to be changed, what needs to be tweaked, what needs to be adjusted, and then your future self. If your goal to be successful is to write a book or to become fit or to get a job, well, then what needs to change in the current moment? Little things, big things, what can you adjust? What can you pull from in your past experiences to help you get in the future, you know? And it's just, a, it's just like a self-analysis. Treat yourself like a, like a science experiment. How could you pick and pull and look at yourself objectively and ask yourself those, those questions? And then a part of the experience that I, th uh, that I think is super important in the book that I mentioned as well is ask a friend, a best friend or a family member that is ruthlessly um truthful to honest. you no matter what honest and hand them the piece of paper i did mine in like a story form you can also do it in question form you can also do it in like write the questions on a piece of paper and then answer them as much as possible but hand that to a friend or family member whoever it is that's truthful to you and really honest and say like does this sound like me or am i like making it too like uh sometimes we we want to be too nice to ourselves you know and then that person should give you honest feedback so like that part is the most important, I think, because sometimes we want to tell ourselves this like pretty story and this lie, or uh, we, uh, we think something was a certain way when it actually wasn't, especially if we were younger, you know? So asking your parents, asking your family members is really important too, because they give you the full story. You only know a piece of it. Um, yeah, but that, that, that's the most important uh, part of the entire book because it sets up everything else. It's the foundation. If you, if I can give you every hack in the world to be more productive, more successful, but if you don't take the time to like look inside and like understand yourself, then you're going to end, you could possibly end up in a place where you're doing all these things. These things are amazing to the, to the public eye, but then you find yourself like, oh, I'm not really happy though. Like I'm doing all these things, but it's, I'm not really excited doing them. 
like, yeah, I'm good at it, but I'm not happy, you know? And that's because you didn't take the time to like look inside and say like, well, what are my likes? What are my dislikes? Um, where do I find energy? Where, where is, what, what drains my energy? You might be doing something that you're great at, you're making good money, but it drains your energy and your time and your attention. And then you have less time and energy and attention for your family or for your hobbies. And then you go down this cycle of like, oh shit, now I'm doing nothing all day because I'm just working and I'm sitting on a couch because I'm so exhausted and I have no much energy. I don't have the energy that I used to have when I was doing things that I enjoyed. So. Definitely. That, the, the self-exploration part is the, the basic of, of the whole book. And you, after that, gives many tricks in order to understand that you have, you give a list of yeah. questions that questions. you need to, you need, you need to answer. And, and when, once you have that answer, then you're set up for the next chapter. I like the way your book is set up yeah. because once you have that, so you can build on it. Very thoughtful. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I, <laughs> it took so much time. And, and, and so can you tell me just to give a little bit of a spoiler, Can you tell me what is the next step then? Once you have done that self-exploration, mm -hmm. what is the next step? Setting up your goals, but how do you do that? Some tricks. Yeah, uh, the direct section after uh, self-exploration is, I call it game changers. So it's habits, rituals, and routines. And I've talked about this through this, this entire podcast, but these are the things that you do a little bit every single day and in the longer periods of time they add up. If you can set your routines, you can set your schedules, you can set your habits and tweak them and direct them in the right direction for a broader goal, then over time, over six months, over a year, over two years, you're going to make huge strides, you know? So like, for example, if you think about like Kobe Bryant as a basketball player, I think he talks about when he was 12 years old and he was like the, one of the worst players on his team, um, on his basketball team. And What he, what he did was during recess, during, during recess and during lunch, while all the other kids that were way better than him um, were just eating and chilling and relaxing, he was playing basketball. And he was specifically working on the things that he was worst at. And then he would spend his summers in summer camps uh, working on if it's his jump shot or if it's his speed or if it's his endurance, the little things, the little tweaks. And then next thing you know, he came back, I think a year or two after, He was the best one on the team, like scoring way more than everybody else. So if you put that into relation to your life and it's like, well, if I want to have a job in, um, in a year, that's very ambitious goal. Let's make it six months. If I want to have my dream job in six months, what are the, what are the habits that I have to create on a daily basis that are going to help me get there? Well, maybe that means sending five LinkedIn messages every single day. Maybe that means applying for one job every day. That's 365 jobs in one year. You know, like, what is that? Cut that in half, it's like over 150, 180, whatever the number is. So then that those are the habits. What are like the routines that you got to do? Well, if in order to be your best mentally when, when applying for a job and creating the resume and the cover letter and all that, that means that you got to be like mentally fit too. How can you get yourself mentally fit? Like getting your sleep, setting a strict schedule for sleeping, working out so that you don't have this extra energy or anxiousness built up. You have that focus, um, whether that's like spending time with your family and cutting so you, can, so you don't just like work and don't just like put yourself in this black hole of like applying for jobs. You need to have a balance, you know? Um, and then habits, rituals, routines. 
Routines is one that's often confused. So routine, routines is, uh, rituals is basically doing habits with um, a little bit more intent. So we all have bad habits. We all have good habits. Sometimes we're not really conscious of them, but doing setting a ritual is like, okay, I want to do X. And I'm going to do X by setting this in line, this in line, doing this every day. I'm going to drink my water. Then I'm going to have my B12. Then I'm going to have my protein shake. Then I'm going to have uh, five minutes spending like, on the phone with my girlfriend to be mentally prepared for the next five hours that I'm going to spend working. That is like a very specific ritual, you know? And then doing that with intent, you're setting yourself for success in the short term and the long term. Set you up. Set you yeah. up for that. It is all about the things that you do today in order to be su successful tomorrow. Exactly. And then the rest all of the right, book is basically like all the keys. So it's like, what else you need to know how to do it? And that's the one thing that I missed in a lot of books. It's like uh, a lot of books how? that I read is the how. And that's, that's, I mentioned that in the book too. It's like, okay, you're going to tell me that I'm going to be successful and I got to follow my passion. I got to do this. And it's like, well, how do I do it? Tell me how to, tell me how you did it. Because that's one thing the authors don't ever tell you. You know, they tell you how Kobe did it. They tell you how The Rock did it, which I did. I break down their stories in my book. But then they're like, they clearly leave out how they did it. You know, like, I want to know how you did it. And that's what I made a point in the book in every section, in every chapter. I tell my story like, yeah, I'm not as relatable as Kobe Bryant is. Um, I'm not as relatable as like Michelle Obama or Oprah because we've maybe, had maybe. so long, but I'm more relatable. You know, I'm younger. I don't have maybe the same background as they do. Um, but yeah, thank you. I hope you liked it, man. No, I, I do like it. And I want a lot of people to read it, to go in that kind of, I'll, I want my audience to read it in order to go in that in that sense because what in, what you said at the in the book, and it it is clear what what you're thinking, it is that all we put out even if we study Kobe Bryant, even if we study Steve Jobs, even if we study Bill Gates, we study what they choose to put outside. Yeah, we don't exactly. study their whole life. We don't study their whole life, and we don't study we don't see their faults. We don't see that their negative aspects we see only the positive aspects and mm -hmm. sometimes you need to be thoughtful of that and you need and you need to leave your own experience and just leave what your life and you will be able to achieve those goals as well maybe you're not going to be bill gates but you're going to be happy and that's what you want to do exactly i think the last thing that's worth mentioning about the book and it's the very last section of the book like the last couple of sentences was uh i mentioned different people in the book everybody's successful in their own way for some people that means money, for some people that means fame, for some people that means time to spend with their family, for some people that means executing on projects 110% every single time, for some people that means like getting their fit body, for some people that means like buying their dream car, but like it's crucially important. And as somebody who studied all these successful people, you need to define what that means for you. And it sounds like this cheesy mantra type of thing, but like if you don't, then you're just going to end up following somebody else's footsteps. And that's not always what you want. You know, like, you, know you're you cannot, you cannot win your job. Yeah. You cannot win. Exactly. You cannot win with the, with the same, with the same person. If you play to be that person. It's, exactly. You can never win. Just, all right, man. That ish, I think this sets, sets us up for round two. And, and I hope we're going to have a round two soon. Yeah, you are super busy. 
but I really hope we're going to have a round two because there is so much more to talk and and you got so 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 much knowledge that it can be attainable and it is tangible to a lot of people right yeah. you're not like a mystified creature exactly. out there you're you're right here and you're relatable and i love that so thank you very much for dedicating your time to this to this podcast and i i hope we can see i can see you soon again and do you have any parting thoughts for the audience something that you want to you want to say to them um i mean i don't know too much about your your audience like the demographics but if if you're somebody who you feel like you've been underrepresented, overlooked, and uh, not not like well resourced. Then this is the book for you. You know, like the majority group, and you know if you're in the majority group, the majority of the group has people like Tim Ferriss, has Ryan Holiday, has all these authors and self development people, and like inspirational people, has all these entrepreneurial people to look up to. The reason why I wrote it was to help people from underrepresented groups achieve their goals. And I was very clear about that from the very beginning. So whether you are a person in that group or not, you'll still learn a ton. But the language, the vernacular, the, the examples, the personal stories that I share from the title to the book, all the way to like the back of the book about the author, like I specifically wrote it speaking to underrepresented groups. So I hope you guys like it. And thank you for having me, man. Appreciate it. Thank you, man. Thank you very much. And there you have it. You just listened to Ish Verduzko on the Now What podcast. And I have a couple of housekeeping things to tell you before you go away. Hopefully you are still with us. This was a long conversation and I, I wanted to make it longer. But for the sake of all of us, we'll make it in two episodes if you guys want it. So the thing to tell you is we have gone social. Yeah! So sorry for this scream. <laughs> Even my dog is looking at me weird right now. Uh, we have gone social. The, so we are building the Slack channel. Let me know if you're interested in that and send me a DM on LinkedIn. We have a YouTube channel now. So from Wednesday, July 22nd, you will be able to see my ugly face on YouTube. And I'm going to share that in a LinkedIn post uh, on Wednesday. We have gone to Instagram. Instagram, uh, I'll leave you the handle in the show notes. And please check out the LinkedIn page to stay up to date to everything we are doing. And I say we because we are a team now and we're building a community. So please stay in touch. I'll see you in the next episode and thank you for listening.